I was praying for the next message some time back. I asked the Lord, what do you want, what do you want me to speak on? Amen. What do we need to hear? What does this church, our church, need to hear? The next morning, the Lord put on my heart Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah tells us, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I like Micah 6a because it lets me know what God wants from me. It's not someone's opinion. It's absolute truth what God wants from me. Cross-reference to uh, Micah 6.8 is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. It says this, Now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, my heart's desire is I want to honor you and exalt you. And I want to just sit down, as it were. I want you to get all the glory and honor and praise. I pray, Lord, that the message is clear. I'm praying that the message would speak to hearts exactly where we're at and do some things. Cause us to repent if needed. And though if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that the message would draw people to yourself. So Lord, have your way as I, uh, as I share what you've given me. In your name I pray, amen. Well, John MacArthur says in his uh, study Bible, which uh, Roland gave me some years back, and I love it, he explains in his introduction to the Bible, quoting him, he says, uh, the Bible is the story of our God redeeming his chosen people for the praise of his glory. As God's redemptive purposes and plan unfold in scripture, five recurring motifs are constantly emphasized. One, the character of God. Number two, the judgment for sin and disobedience. Number three, the blessing for faith and obedience. Number four, the Lord is savior and his sacrifice for our sin. Number five, the coming kingdom and glory. Everything revealed in the pages of both the Old Testament and New Testament uh, is associated with these five categories. End of quote. My message today will cover number two, the judgment for sin and disobedience, and number three, the blessing for faith and obedience because our God is telling us directly what he requires from us 
what he wants from us, what will please him. And so if we love God, we should be quick to hear and respond to what God is saying here. Micah was one of the 12 minor prophets. Minor does not refer to their importance, but to the length. All of them were considered important enough to be in the Bible. Amen. But what they wrote was shorter in length than what the other prophets wrote. One theme that unifies the 12 prophets is Israel's relationship with God. Within the theme of the question, what does God demand of people? The context surrounding Micah chapter 6, verse 8, is Micah the prophet received a word from the Lord in chapter 1. He was commissioned to proclaim a message of judgment to the, to the leaders and people of Jerusalem for continuing to go after sin. Micah presented his message in lawsuit courtroom technology or terminology. Why? Well, what is the basic purpose of uh, the judicial court system? Is to prove the accused's guilt or innocence. Based on the facts given, here the prophet summons all the nations, in chapter 1, verse 2, of the world into court to hear charges against Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. The judgment was God was about to destroy the nations because of their sin against them. Their destruction was to be a warning example to the nations, showing God's judgment on all who sin against him. God was seeing everything, God who sees everything and all that we do. God is omnipotent. He's the omnipotent conqueror, the sovereign over all creation. He is assured of victory. So let's break down uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where it starts off and it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What is God saying here? What has God already shown them? And what was it that he showed them was good? God instructed Moses to write the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Exodus was written by God through Moses in 1445 to 1405 BC. That was a 40-year span. The book of Micah was written by God through Micah, 710 through 695 BC. That was a 15-year span. So the book of Micah was written about 700 years after Moses, Moses wrote down the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were written to the children of Israel and to us all here today. Amen? 
what do the first two suggestions by God tell us? Right. They're not suggestions by God. These are commandments by God. What is a suggestion? It's an idea or plan put forward for consideration. No, these are not something to consider. These are commandments by God, divine ruler. This is God who will, uh, whose will for us to do these things. It's what he wants us to do. His standards for how mankind is to fill uh, his will. James says this. James 2.10 tells us, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of them all. See, we can't do the Ten Commandments on our own strength and ability. God, and the reason why God put that down is, yes, to show us his high standards and really to show you can't meet those standards in, of, of yourself. So we need a savior who can change us from the inside out so that we can have the grace of God to live the Ten Commandments in our lives from the heart. Again, what do the first two commandments say uh, by God? As you remember, commandment number one, you shall, you shall have no other God, small g, before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourselves a calved image, a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am, am a jealous God. That is, demanding what is rightfully and unequally God's. Visiting the iniquity, paying back sin and guilt of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. What does it mean to do justly? From the Hebrew definition, it means to do, to do justly, it means uh, to come to a verdict, a decision, favorable or unfavorable, based on hearing all the alleged claims or assertions that a wrong has been done, based on all the evidence given, to be able to come to an impartial verdict, and then either pardon or have the punishment fit the crime. We hope, all, we hope all of our judges that we elected operate justly. When we were children, we wanted our parents to operate justly to the claims we had against our siblings. Well, we really wanted our parents to be on our side and let our siblings get hammered. Kind of one-sided, right? But it's being able to come to a truthful verdict based on facts given, then have the sentence fit the crime. 
The hope here is that once sin is revealed to Israel and Judah, they would repent. Chicagoland, is this how you operate? Do you do justly? We make decisions all the time. The question is, is it the right decision or not? Do you do justly or do you not do justly? Have you operated justly with your families? If you are a boss, do you operate justly to your employees? Godly leadership, leadership requires that we operate this way because we're accountable to God. We have to answer to God how we manage his church. But on a personal level, as this would have been understood by Micah's audience, to act justly means to be righteous, to live with a sense of right and wrong. In particular, the judicial courts had a responsibility to provide equality, to be fair and impartial, to protect the innocent. Israel and Judah didn't do that. They didn't obey God. They were hypocritical and mistreated others. Injustice was a real problem uh, in, to, in Israel in that day. What were Israel and Judah's guilty? What, was they, what were they guilty of doing 700 years later after the Ten Commandments were written? Well, for starters, idolatry. Micah chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, Micah points out their sin against God in the form of idolatry, worshiping false gods, or worshiping everything else except Almighty God. The center of idolatry were financed primarily through payments of money from purchasing of food and clothing and cultic prostitutes who were strictly forbidden in Israel. That was Deuteronomy, you can see that in Deuteronomy 23, verses 17 and 18. The precious gold and silver taken from Israel's temples was used by the Assyrians for their own idol worship. Chapter 2, Micah points out the wickedness of their rulers and the wealthy. The courtroom scene continues with the accusations being read against the affluent. They had violated the last commandment, the 10th commandment, which says, you shall not covet, that is, selfishly desire and attempt to acquire your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants, or his female servants, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The poor who were unable to defend themselves were at the mercy of the wealthy. Property in Israel was supposed to be permanent. But because of Israel and Judah's wickedness, God allowed foreign invaders to come in and divide their land. Oh yeah, remember, God is sovereign, and he is in complete control over everything. He is the one who also controls all of our circumstances. So, so none of them would have the inheritance awarded them. As the rich took from the poor, so would God take back that which he gave as judgment on the nations. Chapter 3, false prophets 
also stood guilty before God and the Almighty Judge because they, mis they misled the people, prophesying peace when they were fed, <laughs> but predicting war when they were not fed. Like the rulers of their day, they too were motivated by greed. So because they blinded others, they would be struck with blindness and silence. Micah chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says this, you will, you will live in the dark, far from the sight of the sun, S-U-N, with no message from me. You prophets and fortune tellers will all be disgraced with no message from me. So Israel and Judah did their people wrong. They did not do justly. But in contrast, Micah says this about himself in Micah chapter 3, verse 8. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious acts, even to Israel his sin. Chapter 4 talks about Micah shifts from taking, uh, taking uh, or talking about Israel and Judah's impending judgment to prophesying of the future millennium kingdom, the last days, in which Mount Zion, the center of uh, Messiah's coming earthly kingdom, will be raised both spiritually and physically. People th throughout all the earth, not only Israel, will come as a spontaneous stream to worship the Lord in Jerusalem during the millennium. Amen. And in chapter 5, Micah talks about the birth of the king of Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, some 700 years later, Jesus Christ the Lord. See, in contrast, what the false prophets were saying were a bunch of lies that, that didn't come true, but Micah, who's God's prophet, everything he said came true. So Micah tells them, God has already shown you what is good and what God requires of you. So since God had already shown them what they were supposed to do, God expected them to do it. They didn't do it. Regardless of how many years it's been, you might say, come on, God, it's been 700 years. It's 700 years ago. You still, you still want them to do what you say? <laughs> yes. God commands, God's commandments to us are God's timeless principles that we, are able, that, we are, that we should follow. God wanted them to do what was justly. Come to your verdict. Make your, make your right decision. Do what's right. Have right motives before God. They didn't do it. Their motives were not right. Micah chapter 1 says God was about to destroy the city of Samaria. This would have been a just act for God to do that because he, he already told him in the second commandment. God said he'll visit the iniquity, pay back sin against and guilt of the fathers upon the children, the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. Think about your job. For example, your school or whatever. Have you been asked to compromise? To, to not be true to your standards you agreed upon before God? 
To do that, by the way, would, would bring guilt in your soul. You know that, right? It may seem like a little thing to others to do it, but you know it would be wrong to do it. Have you been living justly before God? I listen to us. I listen to. Uh, I listen to sports radio. Uh, the sports commentator, a former Bear player, said the other day, uh, he's talking about random drug testing that the NFL requires all players to participate in. They wanted to get. They want to get urine samples from all the players to make sure that everyone's clean. They don't have any illegal substances in their system. No cheating, no steroids, no illegal enhancements in their system. The sports commentator said that it's common for guys to pee for the other guy. They'll ask, say man, would you pee for me? I'm not sure, I'm, not sure I'm clean. Guys would say, sure. Would you? Would you do that? You'd be lying if you did. But those are, those are my comrades, you might think. Those are my comrades, man. These are, these are guys we do battle with. These are my friends, you know? Or can you just say, no, no, brother, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't do that. You're going to have to ask somebody else to do that. What if an official from the NFL came up to you and asked, what's going on here? Would you tell him? Or would you blow the whistle? See, it's hard, isn't it? This could cost us dearly to do justly. What would you do? What does it mean to love mercy? God wants them to love, wants us to love mercy. What does it mean to love mercy? Here in Micah 6.8, the Hebrew definition to love is affection. Mercy means kindness. So to have affection with kindness, pity, it's the word hesed. It means loyal love or loving kindness. Along with justice coming to a verdict, making a right decision, Israel was to provide mercy, demonstrating kindness, compassion, and pity toward others. Both justice and mercy are foundational to God's character. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before you, your face. God expects his people to show love, pity, and kindness to their fellow man and to be loyal to, the, to their love toward God. Just as God had been loyal to them, but that wasn't happening either. So Micah puts Israel and Judah on blast. Micah chapter 2 says, says this. He reveals the truth on what they were really doing. The truth was they were evil. Verses 1 through 3, Micah tells them, doom, you're doomed. 
At night, you lie in bed making evil plans. And in the morning comes, you do what you've planned because you have the power. You grab any field or house that you want. You cheat families out of of homes and land. But here is what the Lord says. I am planning trouble for you. Your necks will be caught in a noose and you will be disgraced in this time of disaster. Verses eight and nine says, my people, you have turned against one another, showing no mercy. You have even stolen clothes right off the backs of innocent neighbors who pass by in peace. You take over lovely homes that belong to the women of my nation. Then you cheat their children out of the inheritance that came from the Lord. Verse 11, Micah tells them, the only prophet you want is a liar who will say, drink and get drunk. In chapter 6 of Micah, Micah is asking Israel and Judah, in essence, what do you have to say about all this? In Micah 6.3, Micah is telling them what God is saying. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I worried you, wearied you? Or how have, I, how have you grown tired and bored of me? Answer me, God says. God says. Verses 3 through 5, he says this. This, is, this was the Lord's appeal to make a serious or urgent request to them. With tenderness and emotion, God, the divine plaintiff, the one who brought his case, his complaint against Israel and Judah, reminded them of all his many gracious, kind acts toward them. All that he's done for them reminded them of their long, difficult, tiring journey from bondage in Egypt to their own homeland. God provided leadership for them. God uh, reversed the attempt of Balaam to curse the people and miraculously parted the Jordan River so they could cross over from Shechem located east of the Jordan, to Gilgal on the west side near Jericho. God had faithfully kept his promise to them. Chicago land, in being real with yourselves, do you love mercy? Or are you really harsh toward others? Mean-spirited. How's your driving behavior, for example? When you're stopped at a traffic light, it's a two-way, it's two-way traffic. Someone pulls up to your right, not to make a right turn, but to zip in front of you. What goes through your mind? Do you get mad? Because, some, because somehow you feel they're disrespecting you? The light turns green. What do you do? Do you treat it like it's on now? It's going to be a drag race. You're thinking, I'm going to block you from cutting in front of me. You will not get in front of me at all. Is that how you think? It's, a, it's the same feeling we get when uh, you've been standing in line for some time in the store or airport or 
wherever, and then someone just cuts in front of you. Disregarding the fact that you were there waiting for your turn to be serviced. No, they wanted to be serviced before you. Somehow you want the satisfaction of knowing you beat them to it. You're one better than they are, right? Oh yeah, you plan, you plan, uh, f uh, fail, you, your, your plans are gonna fail, buddy. Big time is what you're thinking. You think, no, I'm not going to let you treat me that way. But, but no, just let them pass. Like pastor told me a while back, he said, what's the point, Doug? You're probably never going to see them again anyways. Hello. Letting them pass will mean avoiding a few things. Number one, you're gonna avoid, we're going to avoid high blood pressure. Number two, potential road rage where someone could get hurt over some foolishness. Number three, we will avoid a potential accident. And all that goes with that, high insurance premiums, expensive car repair. What if you don't have money to repair your car? You'll just have to drive around in a messed up car and you'll still have to make payments. You can avoid all these things, that, that and more, by just having a little more self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, and have as your attitude Love mercy. In simple terms, I believe mercy is demonstrated by not giving others what you think they deserve, whereas grace is demonstrated by giving others what you don't want, what you don't think they deserve. Let me say it again. Mercy is demonstrated by not giving others what you think they deserve, whereas grace is demonstrated by giving others what you don't think they deserve. So just let them pass. If you're standing in a line and someone cuts in front of you, at least say, excuse me, I believe I was here first. Then let the chips fall as they may. You remain obedient to the spirit, regardless of what happens to you, by living in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Let's practice self-control and, and not let anyone or anything take that away from us. If we have these godly attitudes, we'll always be winners in God's eyes. Well, what does it mean to walk humbly with your God? Jesus modeled this perfectly when he said to the Father in Luke 22, verse 42, Father, if it is, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. To walk humbly with God means to depend on God for everything, as opposed to having a heart or mind that's lifted up with pride and, be, and become self-conceited self and arrogant. The problem with being prideful in heart and mind is you will forget about God. That was Israel and Judah's problem. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses eight, uh, 19 through 20, it says this. 
And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other small g gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will most certainly perish. Like the nations which the Lord caused to perish before you, you shall you so shall you perish, because you would not listen to listen and obey to the voice of the Lord your God. When we take communion, our Lord wants us to remember Him. Remember what Jesus Christ, the Lord, has done for us. Took our place on the cross as punishment for sin. And thank God for doing that for us. Worship our Lord. He, he saved us. Look what, look what the Bible has to say about that in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, where it says, Though the Lord's, through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. To walk or live humbly with our God is to remember our God with profound respect. Listen to the heart of our Lord, what he says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Every commandment that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember always all the ways which the Lord your God had led you these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart and mind, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and allowed you to be hungry, and fed you manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you understand by personal experience that, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell with in these 40 years. Therefore, know in your heart, be fully cognizant that the Lord your God disciplines and instructs you just as a man disciplines and instructs his children. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk, that is, to live each and every day in his way and fear and worship him with all filled reverence and profound respect. This is what the Lord wants from us. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, talking about what does it mean to walk humbly with your God? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So Chicagoland, our God hears the cries of the humble in heart. He hears our requests and our desires. Are you humble in heart and mind? Are you willing to practice calling on God first? Instead of just doing, instead of just doing stuff on your own without seeking his counsel 
on your life's many issues first? Praying to God, learning to wait on God, and as he shows you in prayer and the word, repent and turn away from your wicked ways and follow what he wants you to do. It takes practice, but just do it. James chapter 6, chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, if we are humble in heart and mind who turn away from, from self-righteousness, he will receive, we will receive grace, his, God's grace. God's grace, his favor, his enablement, his, his, uh, his will in and through us, his power, his ability to get it done. God's grace. James 4.8 says, come close to God with a contrite heart, and he will come close to you. What does it mean to have a contrite heart? It means to have sincere feelings or show sorrow and remorse for sins in your life. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 say, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. So this is what the Lord requires from us. If we are to live a life that is pleasing to God. So, so you really want to know what God wants from you? This is what our God wants from us as believers, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk or live humbly with your God. Micah's blunt question in Micah 6.8 to Israel and Judah was because, was because they should have already known the answer. And this really wasn't a question to be asked, but a, but a statement being made. Spiritual blindness had led them to think they were really doing something when they, when they were offering their many rams, burnt offerings and oils and religious doings. God was not impressed. He was not impressed with all their rituals. Spiritual blindness had led them to offer everything except the one thing God really wanted, a spiritual commitment from the heart to follow and obey God. It's always from the heart where right behavior is produced. This is the theme, what God is saying to us all throughout the Bible. Right behavior, right living, always comes from a heart that is indeed fully committed and submitted to Yahweh, the great I am who I am, almighty God. Amen? All right, well, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as a result of hearing this message today, God might have revealed to you something. Is, is this why you think, is this why it hasn't gone well with you in your life up until this point? Is it because you really haven't lived justly before your God? You haven't loved mercy. 
you most certainly have not lived humbly with your God. What can you do about this? Repent. Be real with God and tell him, Lord, I confess to you right now, I have not done these things. I'm proud, meaning I'm prideful, full of self. I haven't submitted myself to you at all. I have not been just toward others. I confess I've been quite frankly mean toward others. I have not been kind to people. I've mistreated others. I've prejudged others, not having all the facts. I admit I'm wrong for doing these things, Lord. Please forgive me. Then be serious, Chicago Land, and turn from these things. Submit yourself to God. Follow him. For those who have never asked Christ to come into your life, please do this. Maybe God has revealed to you as a result of hearing this message that you have never known God, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't have a relationship with God, but you want it. Why don't you ask God to come into your life right now and, and be born again? Be born into the family of God and, and receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You want to ask Jesus to come into your life right now? Ask him. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So number one, admit you're a sinner. Number two, be willing to turn away from sin. Repent. Three, believe that Jesus Christ took your place on the cross. There's a penalty for sin. It's death. Jesus died for you. He took your place. That should have been you on that cross, not Jesus. But because of his love for you, he died for you in your place. He was buried. He, and then he rose from the dead. Number four, through prayer, invite Jesus into your life and become, to become your personal savior. Pray this prayer with me to help guide you in allowing Jesus Christ to, to uh, be your personal savior. Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, shed your precious blood for me and died for me for my sin. I'm willing to turn from sin. Right now, I invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. Amen. If that's you, then see me after this message. Amen? Thank you.